0: Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm an economist and a writer and the mother of two girls. Today we hear from two women. One's an author and generally in the book world, and the other is an author, a grief counselor, and a therapist. Individually, these women encounter challenges with their own pregnancies. They've come together to write a book that helps women to process the events of their pregnancies and birth by writing about it. And they're here today to talk about this project. Here's an excerpt read by Amy, one of the authors.
1: Motherhood is complex. It doesn't have a simple definition or explanation. It's not one size fits all, and its beginnings are just as complicated. Birth is beautiful and agonizing and incredible and scary. We bet you could add a few more of your own ands here too. The psychological impact of those hours leading up to finally holding your baby, a blink in the whole length of your life, seems to eclipse most other experiences. Going from point A, being pregnant, to point B, you are skin to skin with this little being, is utterly intense and life-changing. It's nearly impossible to describe to someone who hasn't gone through it, and even, at times, difficult to understand ourselves. With that beautifully articulated
0: entrance into the interview, let's hear their story. So thank you both for coming on the show. Why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us where you are and a little bit about your background?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm Amy McCracken. I'm originally from Colorado, but I live in Munich, Germany now, hence having met Katie because she's also here. And I'm an editor, an author, a book designer. I work in kind of the book world. But when I had my son, it brought up a whole different topic that I wanted to write about, about birth and all that stuff. So that was how I ended up writing a book on that topic. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'm Katie Russler. I'm a transformative grief guide and licensed counselor and author as well. This is my second book that uh, we're coming out with. And um, I have three kids. The first one was a quite traumatic birth experience. And so when Amy and I first met, um, somewhere along the lines, we started to talk a little bit about birth story. Somehow it really did come up like quite naturally. And we shared our stories. And from that, we knew there was a partnership later on. We've become great friends, but we knew there was a partnership later on in writing something to help others.
0: And Katie, what puts you in Germany?
2: I married a man with an accent. You know, they hook you and they pull you in and you're like, oh, sure. Europe sounds great. <laughs> but I grew up in a military family. So moving around was like, yeah, I can live in Europe. I had lived here before. Yeah. But now it's six years here and I'm like, Oh, we're, we're staying. (laughs) We're here, which I do truly love. Amy and I have talked about this. It's, it's very hard. Once you really fall in love with the place and you get used to it to go like, well, I move back. Like, uh, I don't know.
0: So I'm guessing you're both fluent in German.
2: Amy is me. Not so much. No.
0: So you can, you can live there easily with mostly English.
2: Yeah. Yeah, We're in a major city, so it helps.
0: Awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we, so you're talking about your book project that you did together on birth stories. So what's the name of the book?
1: It's, uh, let me get the full title (laughs) so that I have that it's giving birth to motherhood embrace being a mom through the powerful healing process of writing your birth story
0: cool that's we're very, all three of us very much aligned here so would you like to talk about specifically what brought you to this project and what the project does for other people sure definitely
1: definitely so initially i when i had my son i thought everything went fine i mean it it didn't go fine it was problematic. It was traumatic. It was difficult, but he was healthy. I was healthy. So I was like, everything's fine. Everybody told me that everybody was like, everything's fine. But I sat down when he was five months old to write down what happened just for my own memory. And through writing that, I started to discover what actually went wrong and that I was actually angry about what went wrong. And that I was very frustrated by the control that I lost. So I'm, let's go. Let's go slowly here. So the issue here is the birth itself. The pregnancy is fine, sort of. So I'm a type one diabetic. So the pregnancy was high risk, anyways. That's how I ended up in kind of a more problematic delivery. I ended up, what
0: does it, what does it mean to be a type one diabetic and pregnant? Why is that immediately high risk?
1: For the same reasons that gestational diabetes has high risk tendencies. Basically the baby will grow larger because my body has harder, has a harder time processing insulin. Even if you're, even if you're like on medication and it's controlled. Yep. Yep. But I have to be much, much more controlled during the pregnancy in order for the baby to not grow too big. And so what ended up happening is I was induced at 37 weeks because he was too big. So, yeah. (laughs) And like that, that brings up its own complications because then vaginal births are more difficult because the baby's bigger and, and all kinds of things. But also when he comes out, if my blood sugar was not controlled during delivery, he could have a low blood sugar, which ended up happening. So he had to go to the NICU and be taken care of right away. Yeah. So it, it just presents some problems, which I knew all of that ahead of time. I was aware of it. I was ready for it. I was prepped for it, which was actually quite different for Katie's story. She was not prepped for a traumatic birth. She was prepped for everything to be normal, but for me, it took, writing my birth story out to realize that I was angry about what had happened, that I was not satisfied with how it went down. What, what would you have changed? I don't know that I could have changed anything. And that's unfortunate about how the system works is that what ended up happening is in the middle of, well, near the end of my delivery, when they decided to go for a C-section because I wasn't progressing, they took over the control of my blood sugars, I had been controlling them and they took that over. They put me on an insulin drip instead of my insulin pump, which I had control over. And my blood sugar went up from there and they didn't quite deal with it. And so then when he came out, his body produced too much insulin that made his blood sugar low. And I could have prevented that, but it felt like the system didn't allow me to prevent
0: it. Did, did they take away your control because they thought you'd be incapacitated by
1: birth or. Yeah. So essentially when they were prepping for the C-section, they were like, you can't possibly take care of this while you're on the operating table. So we have to now take care of this. They would do that also for a diabetic who went into a vaginal birth. When you get kind of through transition, they take over because you just can't pay attention anymore. So on the one hand, it's a good thing. I mean, they are, they are taking care of it, but I feel they didn't pay enough attention, but then they also didn't give me options afterwards. There were a lot of things. If he had breastfed right away, there's a lot of sugar in the colostrum if he had been left attached to the umbilical cord, there's a lot of sugar left in that blood. If he had been put on my chest, that can help regulate blood sugar, but I wasn't allowed any of that because the system calls for a C-section where the baby is kind of whisked away right away. And so I lost that control. I lost the ability to bring his blood sugar up in ways that naturally my body could have done. So it in part it was frustration at my body and frustration at the system.
0: Yeah, that sounds like that sounds extremely frustrating especially since you're used to type 1 means you were born with it? Is that what type 1 means? No,
1: I'm not, I wasn't born with it. I was 11, but I've had okay. it for so a you've long had time. it so
0: long that you have yeah, for most of your life controlled your own blood sugar. To have that control taken away at such a critical time, I can imagine it would feel really unnerving. I guess if the care team had taken over and your son didn't have high blood sugar, maybe that would have been okay. Yeah. You'd have been okay with
1: that. I, I think, yeah, I mean, it would have gone different if it had been a vaginal birth and they could have left the cord attached. They could have put him right on me. I, the C-section definitely complicated things. But of course, in, in other countries, in Australia, I know specifically in Australia, they do allow skin-to-skin contact on the C-section table. They will put the baby on mom on the operating table while they close mom up. And we had even asked if they would let my husband do it because any form of skin to skin will regulate breathing, blood sugar, heart rate, all of those things. And they said, yes. So he had his OR jacket on backwards so that he could put him on his chest. He took his shirt off and had the OR coat on, but then they took him away and just didn't didn't let my husband do that either. So that was definitely anger at the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they that's... they even took him to the NICU and didn't tell us where he was. They my husband had to go searching around the hospital for him. That's so unnerving. That frustrating.
0: Yeah, that that feels like a, a dream where you show up to a test with no clothes on or something. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The, the, where is my baby? I'm sure you know that the placenta develops insulin resistance later in the pregnancy. Yeah. So it becomes harder to
1: regulate it's nuts because actually the hormones in the first trimester make you super insulin sensitive. So you're very, very low blood sugar in the first trimester. Second trimester is that honeymoon period. And then third trimester, you become resistant. So then you need more insulin. And so it's just, it's, it's massively frustrating to, to control all of it. Cause it's really, even though I've dealt with it my whole life, it was very different in pregnancy. Adding on the worry of like what it's doing to the baby. I'm like, oh, I got it. I got to get this right.
0: (laughs) And I can imagine it's made worse by the fact that everyone told you it was fine. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he was healthy. He came out of the NICU after a couple of days and everything was okay. We went home. I was okay. We were both healthy And yeah, but I I think I really started to realize it because I would see articles on Facebook about like skin to skin and how good it is. And I would just be mad. I was just so angry. And so when I sat down to write it down, that was when I realized it was about the control that was taken away from me. I, I was frustrated. I wasn't happy with my birth. I really needed to process it and heal it and understand what happened. And so then that brought up the idea of like, I need to help other moms do this. I need to write a book that teaches them how to process their birth by writing about it. Uh, So that's where the idea was born was I processed my own birth by writing it down. And I, I filled a whole journal. It was like three days straight where I was just writing and scribbling and going crazy. So
0: that's amazing, and so and so now let's let's hear how Katie comes into this same vein. Why don't you why don't you give us a little like sense yeah. of what your experience was?
2: <laughs> the traumatic, uh, the other traumatic birth story. Yeah, so I, I yeah, Amy's right. I had the boring pregnancy, the textbook pregnancy. And then I write about this in the book that like, I never read anything about C-sections because everything was progressing normal. She had flipped. Everything was good. Is this the first birth? This is my first birth. And then I guess it would have been five days before she was due. Uh, so she was born on July 6th, so 4th of July fireworks. And was like, yay, this is, you know, wonderful. Then on the 6th, I had a couple days where I noticed some upper back pain that was just a little off and felt, you know, like, and I, I assumed I had done the, like, moving furniture in the baby's bedroom and you're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, Oh, I probably just pulled something, but it was like progressively getting more painful. And at night it was really, really bad. So I woke up that morning and I just went ahead and called my doctor and was like, you know, Hey, maybe it's just muscular. Like, let's just see. She's like, well, you know what? Come, come into the hospital. I'm on call this weekend. And it was like, Oh, you know, that's sort of a dream. Like your doctor is the one who's on call. Like, okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah, so we, we go and they take my blood pressure and they're like, uh, have you had blood pressure problems during this time? And, you know, it's funny here in Germany, you get this mother book, like a, it's like a, a pass book that keeps all your blood pressures, all your, uh, all your stuff. <laughs> And I look at that now. I'm like, man, that would have been amazing to have. Cause I was like, no, it was always normal and like perfect textbook. And I wish I'd been able to show the book, like here's all the stuff. Yeah. So they called the doctor because every time they took it, I was like, I'm sure I'm just nervous being here. And it's just affecting me. And like, no, no, it's bad. Like it's, it's really quite high. And they called the doctor and she ordered blood work. And that's when they found out I had help syndrome. Wow. And it showed up really fast. You know, some people get in their second trimester, some get in the third, and then it's, you know, they 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 have a little bit more warning than I did.
0: Okay. So HELP syndrome, spelled H-E-L-L-P, which stands for H for hemolysis, the breakdown of red blood cells, EL for elevated liver enzymes, and LP for low platelet count, is a hypertensive disorder and believed to be a type of preeclampsia. It's a rare complication of pregnancy, affecting up to 1% of pregnancies, which amounts to roughly 40,000 women a year in the U.S. It can cause serious illness or death in 25% of cases, so it's a a really significant complication. And we don't know what causes it, and its diagnosis usually leads to imminent delivery.
2: And Yeah. What was happening in my upper back was my liver was struggling. And so I was feeling the, the, basically the spasms or pain of that. And they were prepping, they had to prep me very quickly for a blood transfusion. And they were like, you know, we, we just don't know. We don't know if you can clot. And my poor husband, he, he, it was just a big shock to both of us. Cause here I was still feeling like, Hey, everything's great. Everything's fine. I wasn't, feeling worn down. I wasn't feeling like something was happening. And the doctor, she was an amazing doctor. And she truly said like, you know, we don't have time to even induce you. Like baby really needs to come out because it's not the anything wrong with the baby. It, it's basically killing you. Yeah. So it's time. It's just time. And yeah, it was one of those where you don't have time to think you go into like project mode and I uh, truly was primed for a moment like that throughout my whole life has always been, you know, crisis management or helping with, you know, in the university, helping with different things. I always had training on this. So I knew exactly call my mother, do this, do that, you know, all these things. And it was after she was born. So I got, I got to meet her 45 minutes after I was completely under my husband was in the nursery waiting for her. Nobody got to be in there with us. It was after that, that it kind of set in, I was on, you know, magnesium sulfate, they kept me um in the bed for three days. That was just a a lot of like it's when you're on that, like your vision is like this the whole time. So people come and talk to you and you're like, I can't like I feel like I'm gonna get sick just looking at you. <laughs> I don't feel like I can talk straight, you know, or correctly. So it was a big shock to the system. And then I had this sweet little, you know, baby, which I I I I attached to very quickly to her. And my husband. Poor man was like for three days having to just do it himself, like get her dressed, change her diaper, put her back next to me, anything I needed. So exhausted. And I could not for a whole year after say I gave birth because for me, giving birth was vaginal. And it was, wasn't until I did EMDR therapy that it was like, okay, I can say I gave birth and it wasn't about control of the system. It was my own body. A feeling like my body had failed me and that, you know, like, how does this happen? Like everything was textbook. And then all of a sudden it goes south really quickly, you know, and it's kind of like what Amy did. Like you just learn as much as you can after the fact, and you start to better educate yourself on some of the things. And my doctor handled everything so wonderfully, but there were parts of the story that did upset me. And I realized you know, really it was also writing the story. And I actually had two miscarriages in 2019 and was able to reconcile and heal some of the stuff from the first trauma of my daughter being born by the anesthesiologist at that first birth was talking about the murders that had come through the night before and all the blood and gory, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm about to go under, and you're talking about these deaths. So when I had to have a, uh, operation for the, the first miscarriage, I was like, can I speak to anesthesiologist? And she came in, she's like, what can I help you with? And I was like, you are only allowed to talk about positive things around me. Yeah, <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I know I'm going to be this like weird woman I was like only positive things. And I am walking to the OR. You're not wheeling me on anything. I am walking. I can get up. I'm going like, there is nothing where my body feels like, I can't do, I can't take care of it kind of thing. And it was amazing. I had a wonderful team. I was visiting my family in the States when it happened. And it was uh, just an amazing doctor and nurse staff team as well, who were like only positive. You can, you're in control. You can do this, whatever you need that healed that first trauma fully. And that, you know, after that first year with the EMDR therapy, being able to say I gave birth and then being able to heal the, I had a voice and I could say, "Hey, stop talking about things that are negative when I'm about to go under, and I don't know if I'm going to make it." Was really, really powerful, really, really helpful.
0: Yeah, that that sounds like a lot. Good lord! And after the three days on the magnesium sulfate, blood pressure is normal. Everything goes. No, well, they
2: they you have to stay on blood pressure medicine for. I think I stayed on for about four to six weeks. My my blood pressure regulated pretty fast, went back to normal. So you're you're checking it every three to four hours, still at home and you're taking the medicine. And then there's a point where, cause I've, I, with my third child, I had the blood pressure issues after the birth. And there's a point on that medicine where you're, you start to regulate and then it gets to be too much and you get really lightheaded easily. So it's like, call it, you know, like it's time to get yeah. me off, start to wing me off this. Yeah. So they had to put me on that to just keep things regulated until my body could just go to it and, and not uh, more baseline status.
0: And so being a therapist, my sense is you understood the, obviously the power of talking about what happened, but there's something special about writing it down, right?
2: Yeah, completely. That was a big thing that when Amy came to me and we really started talking about this book, it was like, it needs to have the therapeutic side to why writing is going to be so helpful. And there is something about seeing it in front of you. Cause when you speak it, it's not there anymore. Unless you record it and watch it again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But when you write it and you have to look at it, you know, or type it out and you look at it, there is a, you're more in touch with what happened. In a big part of the book, we talk about how you really get to be the observer versus go through the trauma again. And and we guide you on how to do that in the way that you storytell, in the way that you write about certain situations that occur. It's not to dumb anything down or make false positives. It's truly to still see it on the paper, but not feel it where you feel like everything's just been ripped back up again. And that was really important for both of us. Like We wanted this to be a therapeutic tool, not a write it all out and then like, good luck. (laughs) You've written your story, great. Um, even up, up, you know, we teach a lot of therapeutic tools of how to deal with the emotions, how to deal with the analytical mind that wants to attack, even criticize your writing. And then at the very end, we talk about closure practices and what to do with your birth story, because most of us feel even more empowerment by helping others to not have to go through what we did. And that was a big thing that Amy said, like this book is going to be about, other women being able to save each other from future situations and maybe change the system by being able to speak out more. So many of us forget, you can go back and talk to your doctor or your nurses afterwards. And they feel like, Oh, you know, that's not my place and things like that. But the reality is, is you are paying them to do the service. And they are human. They are going to make mistakes. It's like me as a therapist, I am human. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to ask the wrong question. But I know that people hold me to a certain level, just like we do doctors and nurses. So talking with the person and then being able to go like, even just saying, I'm sorry, or I didn't realize, or, you know, you were our fifth C-section that day and I was just exhausted Yeah, context
0: can be really helpful, right? Yeah, a wider context for sure. So I totally agree that conversation is ephemeral, and so it's hard to get the same feeling from it. It's hard to become the observer in that. Although there is something I think in the back and forth and having people ask questions, and it's that's a little bit like editing, right, where you're you're reviewing things that you said and is this true and how do I feel about this really and especially in your case, Amy, where there's. There's a lot of subtlety to it and there's a lot of, if things had gone slightly differently, you would you might feel totally differently about your birth story.
1: Completely, yes. But I think that's why writing it down and understanding what did happen yep. was, was what helped me is that beforehand there were a lot of what ifs, there were a ton of what ifs. And so I researched the heck out of it. I knew everything that could possibly happen. <laughs> But it was the processing afterwards and understanding the path that things did take, what reality actually happened. And we talk about this a lot in the book. We we actually start out with looking at what your expectations were, yeah. what you hoped was going to happen, what you dreamed for. And then you turn that around and you compare it to what really happened and why did that not work for you and Why did you feel the way that you felt? Um, Because again, we don't have a ton of control over how it plays out.
0: I think it's smart. And I have spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about what your expectations were, because so many of them are so deeply varied that you don't really know about them until they're frustrated, right? Until it doesn't happen. So like Katie, in your story where you're saying, I couldn't call it a birth because that wasn't my idea of a birth. That idea came from somewhere, right?
2: Right. And that was something that when we, the expectation section is quite thorough on, on, you know, your mother women's voices in your life, social media, society, culture, religion, all of these things that really embed messages into your mind. And the beautiful thing is the book is a journal as well. So it has lots of prompting questions. So you're not just like, okay, I've read this and now I've got to figure it out. Even in the writing of the story, there's so many questions to help you break it down. So you don't get caught up in the, okay, where do I go now? Or how do I do this? And with the expectation section, I, I think it really helps you start to put on paper. Oh my gosh, I, I thought this, I didn't realize I thought this, Yeah. you know, there are simple things that most of us don't even realize that we actually think like that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's why we go, why is this day like this today? What did I do to deserve this? So many women feel that way when their birth doesn't go right. What did I do? What yeah. did I do? And they put it, the blame on themselves. And when you sit down and write down what expectations you have in life and of birth and pregnancy, it helps you go like, well, that's kind of crazy because that's not how life really goes. Like, okay. Okay. So how do I start to rewrite those beliefs? Because I'm now raising a little being and I don't necessarily want them to, you know, especially if it's a little, I have three girls, I don't want them to fall into that same pattern. I want them to know that that scar that mom has is the same way that they came out as one of them came out vaginally to C-section. All of it was giving birth. So I talk about that, you know, how do babies come out? Well, you know, there's, there's a couple ways <laughs> here and here. And you see this, this right here, this scar how two of you came out. (laughs) One of you came out through here and it just normalizes it. I didn't have those conversations growing up. I grew up in a Southern Baptist family. We didn't talk about things like this. You know, there was no, it was, oh yeah, my birth was fast and simple and easy. Or for my mom, the birth was difficult, but there weren't C-sections in my family and there weren't miscarriages or things like that. So it was, you know, you just didn't talk about those things. And that's something I want different. You know, it's a generational thing that I'm breaking really that we can talk about our bodies and and how babies come out and how difficult it can be.
0: Yeah. I think it's unfortunate that it feels like culturally there isn't space for and so like all these birth stories have things about them that are complicated and hard and frustrating and not what we expected and beautiful and completely miraculous to have healthy children at the end of them, right? It's just a much more complicated story is kind of the real one, but that's never what you're sold, right? You're sold some ice cream and butterflies and that's all there is. It's,
2: Yep. Rainbows and unicorns. And it will always turn out that way. And we even address, you know, those moms who did have, there are some moms who have wonderful birth experiences and then they'll want to sell you on how they didn't, how you can follow in their footsteps. But our bodies are all different. Like my health syndrome was not anything on my health radar. Whereas with Amy having type one d- diabetes, she already knew, Hey, I have these risks. You can't then go, Oh, for both of you, it would work to do this like this. And yeah, yeah, no yeah. birthing and all these things. Like it's beautiful that there's all these resources, but it, it's not a one size fits all.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm guessing Amy and tell correct me if I'm wrong here, but even preparing for things that might happen feels different than actually experiencing it.
1: Very much. Very much so because I I knew the the clinical terms for things. I knew yeah. what to quote expect. But I didn't know what emotions would come along with that. I didn't know how it would feel. Yeah. To experienced all those clinical terms that I understood. And I, I, my, my dad's a veterinarian. So I grew up in a somewhat medical family. Like we, we do understand how bodies function. I I've watched cows and dogs and horses give birth and sheep. Like I've, I've watched a lot of animals give birth, but the, the internal, the mental, the like, going through it is just so different than reading it in a book or watching someone. I took photos of a friend at her birth. So I had been at a birth and it's still, you can't know what to, what you're going to feel, what you're going to experience internally, that, that mental <laughs> hurdle, that mental marathon that you're running when you give birth is just unexplanatory. Like you just, you cannot explain it. Um, Yeah. The embodied
0: experience kind of defies
1: language, right? It's very much. And that we, we kind of discuss that a little bit in the book as well, because we want women to understand that your identity is entirely new from one moment to the next. You, you go from a pregnant woman to a mother, And it's just a, a massive shift that isn't really mirrored in anything else in life. There, there, there are other big shifts. There are other big changes in life, but that is one that is so wholly and completely different. And it's, it, it takes a little bit of getting to know yourself again, because you are a new person on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. I I interviewed someone not that long ago who said like the old you is gone, right? There's Mm -hmm. no, you
1: cross that Mm -hmm. threshold and then
0: you without children no longer will ever exist. And it's just a completely different space to occupy, which is, which is a giant thing that we don't talk about at all. You know, we talk about the strollers and the boppy and the, you know, baby clothes, but not the really important thing. So it's so great that you guys are, are talking about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is why I do so much of the grief work I do because people hit the midlife crisis and they're just like, this isn't the life I signed up for. And I'm like, cause you weren't grieving all the shifts and changes up until now. Yeah. Now, and really looking at that, that career didn't work out the way you thought or motherhood wasn't what you thought it would or being married or divorce or, you know, all of these things. And if you're not grieving and that doesn't mean like you're holding on to it and wailing and what, but like, really truly embodying grief and going through that work, then you're going to hit a point in your life where you really feel the identity crisis that makes you kind of go do other things that you regret later on or hurt other people or really implode on yourself. So for us, this is like a good stepping stone of like, okay, we want this experience to not be something that you hold on to for so many years that you, you don't later on know who you are.
0: So it sounds like what you're saying is processing the experience in some way lets you integrate it into your life to get a better sense of where you are in the moment.
2: Yes, that's a wonderful yeah summary. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: good. Hey, that sounds that sounds that. amazing. <laughs> that sounds amazing, and I love that that there's space to journal and that there are prompts because for many people it is a a giant experience where it's hard necessarily. Unlike your experience, Katie, where. It's obvious where the extreme elements lie. You know, for some people, it, it, it's all over the place, right? There's something weird in the first trimester or the whole pregnancy felt weird or, or something, right? It's just, it, it's not so cut and dry. Signposts about like, what are you feeling about this or that seem like they'd be totally useful to help people plot that out.
2: Yeah. A lot of what we were finding already in the market around this story of create your birth story didn't guide you enough didn't really walk you through the steps. And because of that, you lose motivation. Yeah. And with each chapter to, have, chapter to have so many questions that kind of keeps the ball rolling, you stay invested and you start to really see the healing power of what you're doing.
0: And do you guys have a like a repository for those stories once women write them? Like a website with the book or... That's, that's in the works.
1: That, that will be a thing. Yes, definitely. Um, Um, That feels like a wailing
0: wall or something. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things we want to be careful of is not pushing that, that same trauma onto the next mothers. So we want to make sure that if someone is sharing their story, that they're doing it in a way that shows that they've healed, that shows that they are empowered by learning their story and and working through their story, because what we found is that you know you have grandma who comes in and tells you about her like super traumatic, bloody, crazy. Everybody was screaming in the birthing room type story. When you're sitting there eight months pregnant at your at your baby shower and you're just like, okay, I'm terrified now. Thank you. And we don't want people to be pushing their trauma onto everybody else. So the the end of the book really works towards finding ways that you can help others using your story. So either you learn how to tell your story in a way that doesn't trigger everyone else, or you potentially create an oral version, which is what Katie has done with her girls is it created an oral version for your child, which helps you understand how to tell the story in a way that it doesn't get rid of the nasty parts, but it makes them powerful. It makes them mom went through this and she did it. And that's the good part of this. So yeah, yeah it we, is, it we is
0: powerful to see the actionable part of it. And I would say good news, bad news is we're all so completely different that no one's birth is going to look the same kind of no matter what. Although I'm sure if it's your grandmother, you think there's genetic connection, like maybe I am in the same line or we're relying on what happened with our mothers, right? How were were their births to to kind of project what will happen with us and mine bear no relationship to my mother's. So <laughs> I, I I don't know how useful that is but but I can feel the nervousness when you describe the grandmother saying that to the granddaughter but I think it you know this is like a tricky line to walk about sharing the trauma but not scaring other people but I think it is it is necessary to get the really really out there to get like a true narrative of this, this yeah. is what it could contain this is how I managed it
1: yeah. And I think you're less likely to push the trauma on someone else if you have processed it. Yeah. The, the problem is grandma has not actually dealt with the fact that her birth was crazy and insane and scary. And so she's just kind of pushing the scary onto the next person. Whereas if you actually process it and deal with it and heal from it, you can still share the parts that were not so great but not in a way that's going to trigger trauma in the next person. So,
2: and I think you can say things like, I wish I had told the nurse this, or I wish they had stopped and asked me more questions or, and that allows that pregnant mom to go, okay, let me make a mental note of that or tell my partner, Hey, we need to ask a lot of questions. Let me go ahead and write my questions down. That's how you start to help others is by sharing also what you realize, looking back, you wished had been done differently or, you know, Paula, like you said, sometimes context helps so much. So being able to heal that, you can say, Hey, wow, I realized my doctor is human and he or she will make decisions on the spot due to a variety of reasons that then are out of my control. Unless I yell, stop, yeah, <laughs> no you don't have the right to do that, but we're not going to do that because this is a doctor. Most of us will not, (laughs) but so it, it allows the, the next generations of moms coming up to think differently in the moment or to feel empowered to get a doula or someone to be in there with them that can empower them because they thought, oh, wow, you know what? I heard Katie's story. And I'm realizing I probably need another support person in there because my husband might almost pass out finding out things or might not be able to handle what comes. So it'd be good to have someone who can, and that's okay. That doesn't mean there's any lack from anybody. It's just, why not? Why not have that extra support? So really, that's where we think it can start to shift, shift how people speak to the system, how they handle things going on around them and how they feel more empowered.
0: That's awesome. Will you
2: remind us again
0: what the name of the book is?
2: Yes. Giving Birth to Motherhood.
0: That's a great title. So congratulations on that. Congratulations on the book. And
1: where and when can we find it?
2: Do you
1: have that, Amy? Yeah. (laughs) September (laughs) 26th. Yep. We're launching it September 26th. Although around the first week of September, it will be available for pre-order
0: okay cool that's very Um, cool and
1: anywhere anywhere and anywhere and everywhere and anywhere
0: i wanted to share one more excerpt from the book this is again read by amy
1: giving birth is like a roller coaster dips and turns and then all of a sudden a drop before reaching the end not every plan will execute the same way every time your birth experience is unique just like you are and there are infinite possibilities for every step of the way So while writing, make sure to give yourself grace. We want you to come to your journal with an open mind and open heart. Don't let any inner editors crowd the page. This is about you, what you went through, and understanding the whys behind it all. Remove the censorship and just let the words flow. Writing your birth story might not be something you've thought of before, or maybe you're terrified of letting those emotions roll over you once again, like the waves of a contraction. But that's exactly why we want you to take a moment to reflect, to understand what happened, to connect with yourself and your baby, and to accept any pieces that didn't fall into place exactly how you might have liked. This is a way for you to acknowledge, forgive, release, and move on. Your birth story doesn't have to be perfect or beautiful or sad or frustrating. It can just be. That sounds awesome. Thank you guys so
0: much for coming on and sharing this. It's such a great idea.
2: Thank you, thank you for having us.
0: Thanks again to Amy and Katie for sharing a little bit about what motivated them to write this book, Giving Birth to Motherhood. I love it when someone uses the challenging parts of their own experience to try to pave the way for an easier experience for the people who follow after them. I'll share links to Amy's website and Katie's website in the show notes, and you can find those at warstoriesfromthewomb.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.